Today my message is entitled, You and Your Place, and I want to, as simply as possible, just share with you what I feel like God has for you, and then what God has in store for you to do in the kingdom. And they're both extremely simple. So there's going to be several scriptures that we talk about today, but as much as I can, I want this message to be simple and clear and for you to be able to see that God has a great passion for you. Turn with me, as I said, to Isaiah 40. If you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. All right, Isaiah 40. This is the scripture I ended with in my, in my last message, but I didn't get to uh, build it to the place that I wanted to build it. So in Isaiah 40, verses 27, it says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known, and have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. I know there's times in our lives that we say, God, where are you? Or we wonder that, but we don't say it out loud. We think it. But you have to understand, for each of you who are a believer, you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have to be reminded of this fact that your God never faints and never grows weary. Just when you think you've worn him out, that you've prayed for that one thing over and over again, and you back off of it because, man, I must be wearing God out. You don't have to worry about that. God never grows weary. Just when you think that uh, uh, everything is so crazy that even God, it's caught him off guard, you have to understand that the word says that he neither faints nor grows weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There's everything in your life that's going on. God understands it, he knows it, and he has the schematic for your life. A schematic is like if you have an electronic piece of equipment, the schematic shows you everything that is inside of that box and how that box works. Well, that's what God does. He has that of your life. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought. He knows every hair on your head that is numbered. And some of us are helping God to not have to count so high with the uh, hair on our head numbers. But these are, these are indisputable facts that as believers we have to understand. Why? Because when God moves us in the destiny of our adventure, it's always going to take something out of us and demand something from us. And we need to know that God understands that and that as we are strengthened in our cause, that he is there standing beside us. Verse 29 says, he gives power to the weak. How many of you could say at one time in your life, man, it was just difficult to take the next step, to go in that next direction? I remember when Abby was diagnosed as a diabetic. You know, I was on fire for God and, and very frustrated, very angry, but very weary at that time. I just felt weak. I thought I had let her down and, and there was nobody for me to punch. There was nobody for me to get out of her way. There was nothing I could do. It was out of my hands. 
and I felt totally weak in that situation. But I learned as I walked through that process that God's faithfulness, he never left me or forsook me in that time where I was dealing with something so amazingly difficult in the flesh. You know, we go through a lot of things in life that can be extremely difficult. We can have broken relationships. We can have uh, misplaced uh, hope and all of those types of things. But we've got to understand that he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. So you might have came into church today, crawled in here, sat in your seat and said, God, I ain't got nothing. There's nothing left in me. Well, I got good news for you that he gives might to those who need to increase power to the weak. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait, everybody say wait. Those who wait on the Lord, everybody say, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they will not faint. Folks, we need to gain a proper understanding of God's dealings in life by knowing his perspective and his ways. When we walk through all of the circumstances, no matter how weak we are, no matter how dark it is, when we know the truth of who God is, we know that we're not only going to make it through that time, but that we're going to be better as we come out of whatever situation that we are in. Because that's who God is. He's always bringing us through something, and when we get through it, we learn so much, and we're always better on the other side of it. But we have to have a proper understanding of how God deals in these situations in life. When the Bible says, wait on the, uh, on the Lord, it means to go through the routines of life with a fervent and patient hope that God will consummate His rule in his time now let's talk about that for a minute that he will consummate his rule in his time in other words it doesn't matter what circumstance that you are in when we know god we know that he is walking in the midst of that fire with us and that when we come out of it we'll be like uh Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we won't come out, we won't even smell like a fire has came upon us. Because he is always walking with us in the midst of our fires. Such a, a, an inner attitude when we know God in that way, it gives us strength to live through the moments. It gives us strength to be able to hold on when we have a hope of knowing who God is. When we wait, when we become patient, when we uh, uh, are, are moved to a place to where we're not consumed by fear or hopelessness or all of those human emotions, when we hold on to a supernatural God, He helps us to, to live above the moment. No matter how dark the moment is, when you have God in your life, he allows you uh, to have a strength that no one else could possibly imagine that you would have. 
How many times have you seen some a believer go through a, a, a series of events and you would say, how in the world did they ever survive that? And they come back with a testimony so clear, so pure, and so right, and th their testimony is the fact that God was with them every step of the way. You see, that's who our God is. And when you find you and your place in the kingdom, there's simple truths that you need to hold on to. The place that you are right now is just the proving ground for the next place that God's preparing for you. See, when you're thinking about God, you have to always understand that he is always three steps in front of you, although you would like to sometimes turn your back and go three steps backwards and redo something that you didn't do right. And when we get into those places, we most times fall into this place of darkness and the temptation is is to settle for what hasn't happened and embrace it as opposed to saying this isn't god's best for me i know he's got another place for me i know he's always ahead of me how many of you would agree with me today that god is much smarter than we are amen how many of you would agree with me today that God loves you more than any, uh, any person in the world could ever show love to you? Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to see how this plays out, how this really works in the real world. You know, the Apostle Paul just had an amazing ministry while he, he was here on earth. We uh, are, most of us are aware of his past. You know, he was a person who knew the word, who knew of God. And as a matter of fact, he, he, what he thought his position in life was is to bring judgment and critical correction to the church. And anyone that would want to move beyond what a Pharisee or Sadducee thought, he had no problem in purposing to put them to death. This was his place in the church at that time before God captured his attention. How many of you realize in Acts chapter 9 when God captured Paul's attention that he was capturing somebody that he knew had a heart for him but it was misplaced? When we get into those, those times in our life where we just didn't get it right, it's not because that you're a total failure. It's just because you haven't allowed God to see you completely through it. But see, we have this innate thing in our life to, to, when we look in the mirror, we're much more critical on who we see in that mirror than the majority of people that see us outside of that mirror. And we're certainly more critical on who we are when we look in that mirror than the God who created us and sees us to be. I got good news for you today. God not only loves you, but he knows you. And God, even as he knows you, his love increases for you. Don't you just love to know that there's somebody who can bring hope to you like no one else can? This is what separates us from those who are lost. And this is why we've got to do everything we can to be the ones that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
because in him is hope and redemption and great things as we move into our futures. And his kingdom is looking for us to find us, you and your place in that kingdom. Now, in knowing the words of Isaiah 40, 27 through 31, that's a three by five card that you should put in your bathroom. And man, every day that you shave, man, you should look that, at that and say, this is my day of renewed strength. This is my day to wait patiently. This is my day of hope. This is my day that no stronghold can overcome me, that no enemy can keep me, that nothing in life can hold me down. Now, ladies, putting those scriptures while you're shaving is not so easy. <laughs> But you can still put them in your makeup mirror when you're doing your eyelashes and all that stuff. I love watching my wife and her routine. As a matter of fact, her daughters used to love to watch her in her routine. So the Apostle Paul, the one who had his past but yet moved into his place of his destiny, was now imprisoned because of his work with the gospel. Now, if in, in Philippians chapter 1, are you there with me? Yes. Philippians chapter 1.19, I want to read just two scriptures, and I, I want to simplify it as much as I can. Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And in this particular verse, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What is this? This is that through your prayer... And the supply of the Spirit of Christ, and according to my earnest expectation and hope. Paul is using those three things to outline that I am in this particular place, but I know because of these three things of God that I'm not always going to be in this imprisonment. How many of you know that it's exciting that even when the Apostle Paul's body was imprisoned, that his spirit was still living on, amen? And the beautiful thing about the epistles are knowing that he is writing these amazing letters in the midst of his imprisonment. It reminds me of Joseph. That when Joseph had his dream and destiny, but all kinds of things got in the way, even when he was in a place of physical imprisonment, he was still not only being blessed by God, but he was serving God into the place of what his ultimate destiny was going to be according to the dream that God had given him. Aren't you glad when God gives a, a dream, he gives a vision, he gives a word, and inside of those you might not be able to see you in the midst of that dream at that moment, but to know that you are no different than Joseph and that God too will work in you and work through you to the place where your dream and the destiny of God will come true as well. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always and now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether in life or in death. You see, 
Paul had already made a determination that his life was going to matter wherever he was. I always wonder how many people got saved uh, by the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment. I always love the fact that during his imprisonment that he wrote these letters thousands of years ago that we are still receiving encouragement. Don't look at the place that you are with disdain. Look at it as a place of opportunity to be able to sow into the destiny of your future. What did Paul say in the context of this scripture? It's simple. He said, first, he had a belief that the prayer of the righteous goes a long way. Now, the, the theme of my message will rest right here. That he knew that he was in a body of believers that he had confidence in that they were standing with him that they were walking beside him, that they would always work with him in what his destiny was. You need to know that when you are in God's hands, when you are a part of his church, when you are in his kingdom, that the walk that you have today was never intended to be walked alone. You see, you and your place in the kingdom, you are placed here to be encouraged. You are placed here to be an encourager. But the theme of walking in the New Testament church is knowing that in your place, you have purpose. And it doesn't matter where that is at this moment. And that's so important for you to understand that God has placed people in your life to help strengthen you. And you need to not only receive that strength, but you need to be strength for somebody else. The beauty of what the Apostle Paul was doing is he was writing a letter of encouragement to a church that he had started, not even being in the midst of where they were at that time, not being able to freely go to where they were to continue to bring the word. But even in the midst of his imprisonment, he was encouraging the body of believers in Philippi. Second, it says, the Apostle Paul says, there is no shortage in what the Spirit of God supplies because he had watched it operate personally. You need to be in a place in your life to where if you haven't seen it operate for you, you need to be beside somebody who has so that you can walk in that idea and that future hope of knowing that what God has done, he will continue to do and it can be done in and through you. So the Apostle Paul is saying that I believe that there's no shortage in what God can do. And this goes back to my point in Isaiah chapter 40. To be able to walk patiently, to be able to walk through darkness, to be able to walk when things aren't going according to the way that you would want them to go, is that when you walk through those types of things in peace, it's because you know a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever imagine. So that allows you to move in a freedom beyond the circumstance that you are living in. I always know that no matter what is happening in this moment, that this moment is preparing me for the future and the history of the kingdom. 
And there's a lot of things we go through that are learning experiences. There's a lot of things we go to that are peeling us like an onion. There's a lot of things that we go through that are things that we wish we didn't have to. There's a lot of situations and circumstances in our life that we don't fully understand. But when we come to appreciate of knowing that no matter where I am at, that God is there with me. If I'm in an airplane at 36,000 feet, God is there with me. If I am in a terrible relational situation at that moment, I know that God is with me. If I'm uh, in a physical uh, uh, situation, I know that God is with me. And that enables us then to have that ability to wait patiently for what God is going to do to bring this outcome for the circumstance that we are in. And the third thing is so critically important. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody who's extremely negative and everything they see is uh, like a henny penny, the sky is falling, or Eeyore, that, oh, this isn't going to be good. And, and you keep listening to, to that, but in your spirit, you're saying, get me out of here. I don't want to be in the midst of this gossip. I don't want to be in the midst of this negativity. I don't want to be in the midst of, of those types of, of circumstances because that's not who I am. You see, when you wait patiently and walk with hope and have great expectations, you go through things differently. And that's the third thing that the Apostle Paul says about this scripture. He, he, he says that he has set high expectation and has a great hope of what God can do in and through his life. That is such a critical thing to possess as a believer, is having a high expectation of who God is and what he is capable to do. Turn with me, if you would, to... Uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at in verse 19. You and your place. Where you are and where you position yourself is so important to your ultimate destiny in God. In verse 19, it says, therefore, everyone say, therefore. therefore. Every time there's a therefore, there's been information that has given before it that has mounted up. And because of that information, uh, the writer is going to say, therefore, here's what's outside of that information. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in, listen, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Now look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying here? He's saying this very clearly, that as we hold on to the, the, the part of our confession of faith, as we hold on to the one who has promised and that is faithful, that we are to strengthen one another in our journey. And I guarantee you that any form of revival, whether it be in your life personally or in a corporate sense, only happens by the working together and the support that people have for one another. And this idea that we are not walking in this thing alone, but I am walking arm in arm with other people who have and share the same faith that I have. We live in a time to where it has never been more important to band together for the things that God wants to accomplish in his church. The Bible says that we are to do this at all, the, all the more, so much the more, as you see the day approaching. What day is that? The return of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm telling you what, I'm not saying Jesus is coming tomorrow or the next day. I don't know that. But I do know this, that things are accelerating in this world at such a rapid pace that it's unbelievable to see the way things are now when I'm 60 and the way they used to be when I was 20. Change occurs at such a rapid pace right now that it's hard to keep up with what happened yesterday because it's even changing today. And so we need to encourage each other so that we can have the endurance to be able to not just run this race, but that we have the ability to run it with dignity, to run it with grace, to run it with character, and to run it until the very end of what God has given us to do. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Now, the psalmist is writing in Psalm 1, he's, he's talking about how to walk as a blessed man. And in the words of the psalmist, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Whose voice is in your ear? Whose voice is in your ear? Where do you get your counsel from? The first and foremost place for counsel should always be right here. This is, you know, God has always been the greatest counselor that there ever was. And in his word, there is truth forevermore that will lead us in those places of where we don't know what to do, God leads us. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. A man 
who is blessed or meditates on the Lord and his word day and night. Why? Because that's what captivates his attention. Why? Because that's what he fills his mind with. Why? Because what you fill your mind with bleeds into your heart and into your spirit. And then those things that you react out of, then are uh, you react out of the things that God has placed in you and not from the counsel of the ungodly. He meditates day and night. And then what happens? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that springs forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. How many of you go into the, to the next thing that you're going to do and you know you're going to prosper? How many of you take that kind of confidence in everything that you do in life? That you know that the next thing you do, when I do it God's way, I am going to prosper. Because that's a promise of the word. Now, am I talking about financial prosperity? Well, that happens, but it's about number 10 on my list. Because I know there's so many things that God does in and through me that I prosper in personally, relationally, and all of those things that occur in my life, that God puts me in a place of favor. And it's important to have favor with God and with man. So this brings forth fruit in its season. Wait patiently, do the right thing. When you are planted by, in the place that God has you, you know that he's going to water you, he's going to provide for you, and it's going to bring forth fruit. And, whoever's, uh, whoever, uh, and whose leaves also shall not wither. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Philippians 1. I am not withering in the place of my imprisonment. I am still being productive for the things that God has called me to do. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This is an amazing text of scripture here. And I'll probably read backwards a few verses. Let's, let's start in verse 19. Acts 14, 19. Let me know if you're there. Again, I'm trying to just make this super simple today. Trust God, walk in his ways, and then watch him do what he promises he will do. Okay? It, 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 it's, it's that simple. And we'll see why he does it that way coming up. So Acts chapter 14, 19, it says, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes... Now, the Apostle Paul had just preached, and there's great things that had happened before this. Okay? People didn't like it. So this is what they did. They stoned Paul. And dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow, what a great thing. What a great reward for your service. Amen? Thank you very much, Paul. And we stone him. However, when the disciples gathered around him, how many of y'all know that sometimes in life you feel like you've been stoned or beaten 
or uh, verbally assaulted or whatever it is, and you feel like somebody drug you out there and just kind of laid you and exposed you in front of everybody. But what's the good thing about what happened to the Apostle Paul here? He had a group of people that could surround him. He had a group of people that could pick him up. However, what a great word there. The Apostle Paul had done such great work and people tried to kill him, stoned him. I don't know about you, but that would hurt. That would hurt to have stones thrown at you. And it says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derbe. Now listen to verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And this is what they did at this point. They strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, uh, uh, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, these guys were preaching this out of experience, out of what had happened in their life. Now, isn't this amazing that the Apostle Paul, who they, they had stoned and left him for dead, he had a group of disciples gather around him, pick him up, and that's the last you hear of that. Hmm, isn't that interesting? It's the last you hear of him being stoned in this text of scripture. I mean, verse 21 or 20a should say, and they ran him by urgent care to have him x-rayed just to make sure that he had no broken bones. And they ran him through urgent care. They said he was okay, but to have a follow-up appointment with your doctor as soon as possible. No, none of that happened. Why? Well, because a group of people surrounded him, gathered around him, and strengthened him, and he was able to rise above the place of his physical body being almost put to death. See, you and your place needs to be in a place where there's a group of people that can surround you and strengthen you for the next part of the journey that God has in store for you. You're not just here to uh, 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 be the one who gets all the attention. You are here to give the attention as well. You're not just here to suck up what the world has to offer you. Actually, when you find your place in Christ, it's never about what you're going to get. It's about what you're able to give. Because that was the characteristic and personality of our Savior. Now look, when you take that mental concept into every place that you go, then every place that you are is going to be a better place. When you are in a place to where the gospel that uh, you've received becomes life and manifested through you, everyone around you is better than they were at one time. Whether it be at work, 
whether it be in your relationship with your wife, whether it be in your relationship to your children or your neighbors, you were called to be that person that stands beside the people in your place of influence to help them move to the place that you have came to yourself. It's not just enough to say yes to Jesus. Now, after the yes comes the, what can I do? I say yes to you and I thank you, but now what can I do? And what an amazing text of scripture this is to see. That the Apostle Paul, in all of his greatness, all of the things that he did for God, he came to a place to where he was so physically trashed that he couldn't rise up on his own, he had to rise up with other people around him, helping to lift him up, to love him into another place and dimension. It's amazing what God has done. Forsake not the assembling of believers. Why? Because when you walk out of this place on Sunday, that you should be strengthened to do something great for him on Monday. This is a place where you develop relationships, where you develop those who you're going to trust to stand around you because they have seen that they can trust you to stand with them. The kingdom is always about you and your place, and that place needs to be that you would love one another. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I think it's about time for a seventh inning stretch. Take me out to Redeemers. Take me out with the crown. We'll have a potluck after the service. Stay with me. John chapter 21. Peter had fallen three times. We know that. We see that happen all the time. But when you fall, it's important to have the right people next to you. Now, isn't it interesting, after Jesus had expressed to him what was going to happen, that when he encountered him, it's as much as what he didn't say as opposed to what he did say. See, when we're in a place of standing beside people, it, you know, a lot of times it's not to remind them of what they have done or what they have not done, but it's to encourage them into what you see about their destiny. It's like prophesying into them to the place where they are heading. So when they had eaten in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. In verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. See, what happens when you surround and encourage somebody, you give them the ability to stand in the place that they were ultimately called to be. And because Jesus didn't come to Peter and say, Peter, I told you that you were going to deny me. Peter, this about your past. Peter, this about your past. Peter, this about your past. Somebody look at your neighbor right now and tell him God's not concerned about your past. But he's excited for your future. Now, so Simon does the thing Jesus comes around him, builds him up. And so what's the next thing that we see Peter doing? In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, but Peter. Okay? Now, the but Peter is, yes, it's the same one who denied Christ three times in front of people who were saying what? Hey, you're Peter. You're that guy that was with Jesus. No, no, no. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus. Somebody else, hey, you're Peter. I know that you were with him. No, 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 I wasn't with him. And, and, and he failed in that, that thing that he was being tested in. But in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had came alongside of him and reaffirmed him, then Peter was the first one to publicly acknowledge who Jesus was and what he could be in their lives. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. In other words, that because of somebody standing beside him, he was strengthened, not to mention filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment, but to be able to do what God had called him to do. We need to understand the depth of how much we need each other to do what God has called us to do. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapters 1 through 11, G, or, or, or the Apostle Paul is writing about how amazing the things of God are. He's writing a simple ideology of, the, of this is a, God's amazingness. And then he writes 9 through 11 about the importance of the Jews in the kingdom. And then he comes to verse 12 and says this. He starts out that says, I beseech you, therefore... Once again, a therefore, in all of the things that had happened before, now he's saying, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the Apostle Paul writes that in there knowing that he's writing that to a group of people who are working together to carry out the things of the kingdom. He's also saying this, that this is no longer the time that we make animal sacrifices. This is no longer the time we bring an animal to be killed, but now you are a living sacrifice. And that everything that you do in your life now should be done 
to bring the kingdom of God to a different place, a different perspective. This is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing there also means like to renovate. Like when you go in and you don't like your kitchen, and you take everything out of your kitchen, cabinets and countertops and islands and stoves and fridges and dishwashers, and you get it completely out of there and you put all that junk in a dumpster because what you're going to do now is you're going to renovate that space. You're going to renew it. And he is saying, don't let your mind be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed into the things that the Bible has to say for you and go in and renovate all of those areas of your life that don't look like the king and his kingdom so that you can be transformed by that renewing of your mind that you may prove. In other words, that through your life, now your life is going to prove by what the things that you do, how you've been transformed. And you will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a lot for a believer to think about and to do. And I guarantee you, you can do that at a greater pace and purpose by knowing that you're working together with a group of people. Now let me end right here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Why do you need to, to, to know that God strengthens the weak? Why do you need to wait and be patient? Why do you want to make sure that you're not forsaking uh, assembling together as believers? Why is it important that in all of the things that we read today, we think of what the Apostle Paul did, even in the midst of imprisonment, even in the midst of his darkest hour. The why is this. Because people are counting on you. The world is counting on us as believers. And in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among them. Now listen to this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Let me ask you this. Who do you think was in that crowd of the multitudes? Who do you think was in that crowd? Do you think there were people who had uh, murdered people? Do you think that there were other sinners of, of all ilks? Do you think that there might have been people of different races, different creeds, different things? Do you think that it was just a group of people that were just in need of Christ and they gathered together at that time and they were considered to be a multitude? But when Jesus saw them... This is what the Bible says. He was moved with compassion. Isn't it interesting that he didn't pick out who he saw? 
Oh, there's Dave. Well, I know his past. Oh, there's Royal. Okay, good. I'm glad a black guy came to my meeting. And there's a, a guy from Outreach. Well, oh, good. I'm glad he's in the crowd. And there's Caleb. Oh, well, I, I know he needs some healing. That's great. And there's Ian. And, and, and he just starts picking them out. And, and he, 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 he looked through the multitudes and started saying, well, there's this guy who didn't do that, and there's that guy who has that issue. No. D does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It said, when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion. And for us as believers, you and your place, what do you see? When you look at your neighbor, oh, there's that guy that's got a car up on the blocks. That guy drives me nuts. There's that guy who this, and there's that lady who that, and you see those people, and you see all their faults. When you go to work, you look around, you go, oh, there's that same knucklehead. He's over there telling stories about how drunk he got this weekend. There's that guy. There, there's my boss. I can't stand him. What do you see when you come to church? Mm. Same attitude you have looking at your neighbors, looking at your co-workers. You carry that into church, too. I mean, I'd like to tell you it doesn't happen, but it does. When we look at people, if we're looking at them through the eyes of Christ, what we see is something of compassion when we know they don't know Jesus. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Would you say that we're living in a time right now where people are weary? Come on, they're just wiped out. I mean, they don't, they, they just, everything they hear, everything that comes into their, their ears from the outside is always, you're not this, or you should be that, or you don't take this, and you should take that, and, and uh, I don't measure up in this respect, I don't measure up in that respect, but that's not the way that God sees us. He's telling us not to be conformed to that, but be renovated by this. Not to be conformed by all of the things that are outside of us, but be transformed on the inside by this so that then we can be a transformer to those people that are around us. When you are filled with this, it's the only way to look at the multitudes and not be judgmental. The only way. And God is not looking at your past and critiquing you. He's looking at your future. We've got to stop critiquing people by everything that we think we know about them. And instead, we need to turn forward in the way of what we can do to surround and encourage them to move forward. You know, we've had a school here since 2006, the Redeemer School of Ministry. And we had a group of graduates that graduated uh, a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, we were just enjoying our time. And one of the graduates called me 
and said, hey, I'd like to start a school. Wouldn't have been probably the, the number one person that I would have thought of that would start a school and to be able to be successful. But aren't you glad that God doesn't think that way? Aren't you glad that that's not the way God moves? Well, I scheduled a time. I did the two-day training for them, and, and uh, they started out, and I'm not wondering how this is going to work for them. But I got to visit their school last Thursday, and they have 29 of the most eclectic students in the most unbelievable situation. I couldn't do her school the way she does her school because it wouldn't fit for me. But aren't you glad that God didn't have me touch those 29 people because they would have never got to the place to where they were going to be? See... We can't look at the unlikely and think that they've got no purpose. We've got to just be beside people in whatever their part of the journey is. Not only are, do they have 29 students, but they're getting ready to start over again in semester one, and they've got a whole new group of people that want to join what they're doing now. Aren't you glad? That when God looks at the multitudes, he sees purpose, he sees hope, he sees destiny, he sees greatness, he sees prosperity, he sees things in other people that we never see with our own eyes. Would you stand with me today? You and your place with God is so critical to the way that things are going to move forward in the idea of revival. And I'm so glad that when I stopped critiquing somebody and joined into what they were doing, that I could be the one that moves those seeds forward in their destiny. Don't move her yet, Millie. Don't move yet, Millie. 56 years that Redeemer Church has been together. And first and foremost, I want to acknowledge, Millie, that you and Willard have done an amazing job. That there are seeds of destiny that have been sown around the world. You don't even know these people, but because of your impact and your influence and what you and Willard have poured into people, that people are touching people that we're not even aware of. And I'm telling you, when they have Million Willard's corner up in heaven, it's going to take a long time for you to see all the lives that were transformed because of the things that you guys have done. I mean, it's going to be amazing. You and Willard saw something in outreach, and you were the first supporter for their ministry, and we haven't stopped supporting them since that first day. You guys are responsible for uh, people in nation after nation all over this great city that you guys have imparted into, and I'm one of them, and I say thank you for everything that you have done. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in all of us, and just thank you for you and Willard having the courage to step away from what was comfortable to you guys and moving into something that had to be as scary as all get out, I know that you were only 20 when that happened, so uh, you know you had a lot of strength, but thank you for everything that you have done. Thank you for all you pour in to everybody that you and Willard's lives that you've been a part of transforming. You are truly somebody who has stood beside 
people for all these 56 years, and because of that, we're all better. Let's give God a praise offering for Millie. And Millie, we purpose to make the 56, next 56 years even better than the first 56 years. So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you today that you have each of us in mind, that you have encouraged us to wait patiently on you even when it doesn't look good. You've encouraged us to stand strong in you even when our lives seemed imprisoned in one way or another that you have encouraged us to stand with each other and we will see great things occur. Father, I thank you that you are a God that is not critical and judgmental and overbearing, but you are a God that walks in truth and walks in destinies and brings hope and restoration to even the most broken life, God. You make it look amazing when you bring restoration. So, Father, today, I thank and praise you, and I ask, Lord, that we would encounter you in such a way that would call us, as we see the multitude, as we see the masses, as we see our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members, that we would begin to see people the way that you see them, and that you would enable us to come around them even when life has stoned them and they're left for dead, that you would call us to surround them, encourage them, and strengthen them for the things that you have in store for their life. Father, we thank you that you are incredible, and we can call you our Savior. And Father, today we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise to the Lord. He is good. He is so good.